BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Head in store and shop for all your favorite personal care essentials to earn four times rewards points. Shop for products from Olay, Always, Gillette, Vicks, and Crest. Plus, check out new items like Mr. Clean Magic Eraser Ultra Thick Multi-Surface Cleaner. No more sponges or other cleaning products needed. And Head & Shoulders Bare Soothing Hydration Shampoo, a new kind of anti-dandruff shampoo with only nine ingredients. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. Oh, should we start this show? Yeah, I'm down. Just buying a car in Carvana first. Oh, for real? Yeah, it's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do is answer a few questions. Ooh, that's helpful. And now just customizing my down and monthly payments. Oh, that's a very fair deal. Yep. Boom. Just bought a car. And you get to take me to the Carvana vending machine in a couple days to pick it up. Ooh. I'm kind of busy. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Newton Group Transfer. They are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. These stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up. Or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right. It's unjust. And Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE. Or go to timesharejesse.com, Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. Well, it's getting bad out there. 
It is getting bad out there. We will talk about all the current events. Talk about Trump, his announcement last night, whether I love it or hate it. What we're seeing in the country, why we're seeing it, everything. Communism. Where did it really come from? Well, it would probably be a mistake to say Karl Marx invented it. Remember, Karl Marx is not a Russian. Karl Marx was a German. And he had this idea about the people being in charge. Now, he's, he's a general answer, especially amongst people on the right, to that question, if you could go back in time and kill somebody, who would it be? Karl Marx's name is always in the top five of anybody on the, in the right. And I'm not going to defend Karl Marx. However, I will say that Karl Marx's version of what communism, socialism, whatever you want to call it, whatever his version of it was, it didn't, he didn't know. He didn't know that's what it would turn out to be. There's nothing in his writing that indicates he knew. It was more of a theory at the time. This is not something that had been done before. Well, what if what if we don't have any of these monarchs anymore and just every just everyone's in charge? Which again, I don't want to defend the man, but sounds nice, right? And we know now that it can't exist, it flies in the face of human nature, and trying to force it to exist will result in the murder of tens of millions of people. We know all that now. Karl Marx didn't know that then when he penned it. And right when he penned it, didn't. it's not like it took off the next day. So he didn't get to witness it. He wrote all that crap in the 1800s. He didn't, he didn't get to see Stalin. He didn't get to see Pol Pot. He didn't get to see Hillary Clinton. I'll quit. Now, fast forward a little bit past Marx. We have a situation in Russia. Late 1800s, early 1900s, and this is the situation in Russia. They hate the czar. Russia is going through massive amounts of social upheaval. The czar, Tsar Nicholas II, is in charge. He is the autocrat. He is the only man in charge, as has been. It's been that way in Russia for a long, long, long time by this point in time. Hundreds of years, which is bizarre for us to even think about as Americans. Wait, one family? Hundreds of years? Yeah. And a funny thing about him is Russia is always a difficult beast, especially at this point in time, to get your handle on. And he didn't really want to be czar. He's not one of these guys who grew up wanting all the power in the world. He's not Ivan the Terrible. He was a guy who was just kind of there. And it's weird how history remembers him. Some people remember him as this horrible tyrant. Some people remember him as just this poor, hapless stooge who had no place in the 
in the castle. I will say this. He appears to be a man, whatever the truth about him is, who was, I guess we all are in some way, but who was majorly caught up in the gears of history. Yes, nobody in the world could accuse this man of being a strong leader for Russia, but we are, what's he supposed to do at this point? The world was shifting at the time. The world was casting off the old monarchies, the old ways of doing things and finding new ways, period. They have a little mini revolution in Russia, early 1900s. He keeps power, but he he gives the people some concessions. He he elects allows what's called a Duma, a Congress. Now, in the all time all time greatest scams ever, he gives them basically no authority at all. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, you can you can have somebody elected. I mean, I'm not going to listen to whatever they say, but sure, if that makes you feel better, sure. Here, elect your congressman. You'll be fine. And then World War One comes. Now, Tsar Nicholas, even though I'm more in the hapless stooge camp, you need to understand he knew the name Karl Marx because that philosophy Karl Marx had come up with was really, really starting to sprout big time in Russia. People were chafing under the thought of an autocrat being in charge. There was an industrial revolution that had people working in factories in miserable conditions, and all of a sudden the language of Karl Marx, of unions and all that, starts to get a lot more appealing. And Tsar Nicholas would absolutely drop the hammer down on anybody in support of Karl Marx. Bear in mind, the you know Soviet gulag thing, the ship you off to Siberia thing, we like to hang that around Joseph Stalin's neck. And it's not as if you can put too much bad stuff around Joseph Stalin's neck, Joseph Stalin's neck, but he didn't invent sending people to Siberia. All right. That was around a long time, which is kind of amazing and a little bit funny when you think about it. Russia's so vast, but they have a part of their country that's so inhumanly cold and miserable they'll just flat out send political prisoners there and lots of places where you get quote sent to siberia are not prisons stalin was exiled to siberia as a, i mean as a prison sentence several times and it was essentially just a little town <laughs> but there was really nowhere to leave you, you couldn't go anywhere and it's freezing and miserable it's like, this is your prison sentence this place sucks so bad you have to live here see ya and, of course, they escape all the time, and the Russians are shocked by this. I don't know how he got out. Dude, you let him run free. He's writing letters and stuff. Someone just came and picked him up. But that was Russia. It was that way. And so the Tsar is kicking out these communists wherever he can find them, and there is a real brewing hatred and a brewing political movement in Russia, but before World War One even starts. And I do not mean 
like you and I picture. A political movement being you and three of your buddies having a butt heavy on Friday nights. And You know what? I don't think women should be allowed to vote. Maybe we should start a group, which everybody knows I would lead that movement, but that's another story entirely. No, this was the young men, the young, and I'm doing the biggest sarcastic air fingers quote in the history of mankind, the young intellectuals of Russia were exploring a better way. Trotsky was famous for this. He would have these gigantic meetings with other intellectuals, and Trotsky was a certifiable genius. He would have this young meeting with anarchists and communists and socialists and all these others, and they would debate a better way, but one thing there was no debate about, they knew what they had now was not the way. Only you can get yourself in a little bit of trouble doing that. Hang on. stocky follow like and subscribe on social at jesse kelly dc ebb sleep can change your life that is a big thing to say i realize that sounds a little wild but listen to me that's what sleep does as somebody who has had plenty of nights without it and plenty of nights with it it changes how you view everything it changes your thoughts it changes your physical body it changes Everything. It can improve your work performance, your parenting skills, your relationship. That's what sleep does. Your body was designed to get it. And if you're not getting it, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be a worse you. And the answer is not found in a bottle of sleeping pills. It's found with an ebb sleep. It's a wearable device that calms those thoughts down and puts you to sleep. Go to tryeb.com slash jesse. That's tryebb.com slash jesse. Use the promo code jesse. Get you 25 bucks off. Do not go anywhere today. I'm about I'm about to do something I've never done, Chris. It's something you're supposed to do. They say it's a tease. You see, I've never done radio before. I've been doing this like two years. <laughs> I have no idea how I got a national show. Just, we just kind of fell backwards into this thing. But they tell me I'm supposed to do more teases and stuff about what's coming. I don't know. I never went to any schools for this stuff. I just sit down and talk. So I will tell you this. Clay Martin, you know Clay Martin. You've heard him a thousand times on my show. Marine Corps Scout Sniper, Marine Corps Recon, Green Beret. Yeah, I'm not making that up. He's all those things. That Clay Martin. The guy, the first time you heard him nationally, talked about killing somebody. That Clay Martin. He is going to be on here at 1030 a.m. Eastern time. And he's going to prep us. He's not on here to talk about general stuff. I'm not even bringing him on here today to screw off, even though I'll do a little of that because I can't help myself. He's coming on here today to specifically talk to you 
and me about getting your home prepped, being ready. Look at the news. It's time to be ready. Now, communist revolution. So Tsar Nicholas II is tossing out these commies as often as he can find them. He's constantly trying to do this balancing act. And understand, all leaders have to do a balancing act at one point in time. People like to imagine, you know, kings and emperors. uh, uh, Just whatever he says goes. Not, Not really. Historically, that's completely inaccurate. Yes, he's in charge. Yes, whatever he says goes. Yes, if he points the finger at you and says, pull that guy's head off of his shoulders in front of me, that's going to happen. You're finished. But kings don't always have that solid of a hold on power. At some level, they do need the consent of the governed, and they're trying to compare their power with other nations. And you want to you have a heavy hand, but not too heavy of a hand. It's always a balancing act. There is an art to ruling. As one thing I have learned in looking throughout history of the successful leaders and the failed leaders. And Tsar Nicholas II, again, you'll get a million versions of this depending on who you read. Some people say he had bad advisors. Some people say he had great advisors and he was the idiot. You never know who to believe. But he always seemed to go back and forth between showing some mercy now and then to the people. Again, he's not one of these rulers who was a power-hungry nut. He didn't even want to be there. He wanted to hang out with his wife and kids. Even his worst detractors don't argue that fact. He was really a family dude. Loved the wife, loved the kids. He had a son who had that, uh, his blood wouldn't clot. Hemophilia, I think it's, is that a, shoot, did I just say a dirty word on, is it hemophilia, Chris? It is hemophilia. He had that real bad and they were worried about him. But eventually we get in a situation where World War I breaks out. And part of the reason I'm in the Tsar Nicholas II got caught up in the gears of history camp is because this war could not possibly have broken out at a worse time for Russia. Now, there are people out there who blame Russia for World War II or World War I, I mean. Remember this. Remember this. This was between Austria-Hungary and Serbia. A Serb, Gavriel Princip, killed Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Now, Austria-Hungary freaks out. They give some horrible ultimatum to Serbia that they could never in a million years abide by. The Serbs turn to Russia And they say, will you jump in on our behalf? And this was when you could make the argument this was the start of World War I because Russia says, absolutely, if they come after you, we're in. But there's a big but in there. I'm not trying to blame them myself. That's how it was done back then. That's how allegiances were handled back then. That's how it was, especially if you were Russia and you were a large, powerful nation and you had a smaller, weaker nation, kind of, I don't want to say under your thumb, 
because that's not, that was not the relationship. But if let's say Russia got in a little pickle and they wanted five thousand Serbs to go guard something, they're not going to say no. They're going to send five thousand Serbs to guard something. And let let me be clear here: they don't really have an option to say no. Not under the thumb, but I need some help, and you're giving it to me. Oh, oh, yes, sir, yes, sir. That's that's more that kind of relationship. But World War I could not have broken out at a worse time for Tsar Nicholas II. They could not. Because it turns into what you know it as. Carnage like the world had never, ever, ever, ever seen before. Now, it's, it's normal for us now. Because we have the benefit of looking back at World War One and World War Two, we see atomic bombs and we see the 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 Russian or the German invasion of the of the Soviet Union in, in World War Two. We've seen this mass carnage that now it's just programmed into us that that's what happens when countries go to war. Remember this, and this is critical to remember for when you're trying to understand the Russian Revolution. The casualty numbers we saw in World War I had never happened before in the history of the world. How many things have you experienced in your life that have never happened in the history of the world? Let's start with zero, with the exception of obviously new inventions and things like that. Everything is just a repeat on some level, right? I mean, that's what they say. History repeats itself. Um, I'm sorry. We've, we've lost... We've lost a million men dead? What? No nation could even wrap their minds around those numbers at the time. I've told you before, Battle of the Somme, Britain, Britain lost more men in the span of a few hours at the Battle of the Somme in World War I than the United States of America lost in the entire Vietnam War. You want to talk about a shock, a complete upheaval of governmental systems, that's what it'll do. Nations didn't know, they didn't even know how to wrap their minds around it, and here's the problem. When you get into numbers like that, and the numbers keep coming, and the numbers keep coming, and the numbers keep coming, and your men get sent off to war, and this man gets sent off to war, and this man gets sent off to war, Eventually, the people who were already unhappy, they're going to look around and think, my government thinks my life is completely worthless. Whether that's fair or not, whether the government really thinks that or not, how could you convince yourself otherwise? We lost We lost how many in one day? And they just, wait, they just kept ordering them to attack the machine gun nests? Are you, What? Really? Oh, and did I mention war is expensive? Not only are your people being thrown into the front like cannon fodder, they're starving. Especially when you're a nation like Russia, a vast, already disorganized nation. You're killing all your young men, you're taking away the husbands, fathers, brothers of the people back on the home front and starving them while you're doing it. Yeah. 
that was going to be a problem. Hang on. Your home matters to you, doesn't it? The safety of your home matters. Aren't we all that way? You make sure your doors are locked. Maybe you have an alarm system you turn on. Maybe you have a weapon you keep close by. You want to make sure your home is safe. Fences, locked doors, all that stuff. How's your internet security? Tell me how would it be honest with yourself. How's your internet security? Because I want you to know something. Unless you have ExpressVPN, the truth is this. Your internet service provider can see everything you do online. Everything your spouse does, everything your kids do, that's the reality of it. Or you could get an ExpressVPN and they can't see anything. Your IP address is anonymous. Everything is 100% encrypted. And if you go to expressvpn.com slash jesse, you actually get three months free on a one-year package, expressvpn.com slash jesse. Russia is losing a ton of dudes and the people are hungry. And eventually the people rise up in World War I and understand they had situations where they would call in the military to tell the crowds to disperse, to tell the crowds, you know, these bread riots and things they're having, go home. And lots of times the soldiers would turn around and stand with the breadline people. Nicholas II realizes what's happening takes a train ride back from the front where he was commanding poorly, goes back, abdicates the throne. We're good, right? Not so much good. People like to think that Nicholas II stepped down and Lenin stepped right in. That is not what happened. There was a vicious... Vicious power struggle from this point forward for some time. Why? Well, let me ask you. Do you think there are going to be multiple bidders to take control of the most powerful country in the world at the time? Arguably the most powerful country, certainly the largest at the time. Yeah. Yeah, there were. Remember this. Remember this. People have agendas. People want power. The casting off of your current governmental system does not guarantee an improvement. Oftentimes, quite the opposite. Being unhappy with what you have, is a common state of affairs for man. The grass is always greener type thing. If we could just get rid of blank, things will be fine. That is very, very rarely the case. We as Americans, 
because we pulled off the successful one, always have a soft spot in our heart for rebellions and revolutions, don't you? I mean, the Russian Revolution, probably not so much because we know how that turned out, but Producer Chris, don't you? You hear a rebellion, a revolution, aren't you all like, yeah, go get him. It's, it's, it's in our DNA, of course. Of course. I hear revolution. I think John Adams, baby. Thomas Jefferson. George Washington cutting throats. That's what I think. But remember, that's because we pulled off the successful one. If you take away America's success story on the whole revolution front, there are a lot of very, very, very ugly ones. And I don't, I'm not just talking about the murderous French Revolution either, although that's certainly a, bit of, a bad bit of business. You remember I've told you this before. We'll actually talk about him one of these days, maybe tomorrow. Spartacus. Spartacus, no, it's not just a movie, idiots. The Third Servile War. There were three big slave revolts in Rome. Servile, meaning slave. And the third one of these was the one Spartacus led. And Spartacus turned out he had been like some kidnapped stud military commander. And so he organized everyone and it was most successful. But one of the stories I was always blown away by was them opposing slavery, the oppression, them opposing Rome, forcing men into being gladiators. And like the first thing Spartacus did was make the captured Roman troops be gladiators. <laughs> now, look, I love a good bit of revenge as much as the next man. It's just it's... careful with your revolution. Do you think Spartacus's men, his army of freed slaves and freed gladiators, do you think they were rubbing everyone's shoulders and patting them on the back as they tore their way through the Roman countryside? Do you think there was any abuse taking place? Maybe? Possibly? Russian Revolution's no different. Actually, initially, the first government to take over is a government, uh, kind of a democratic government. Uh, now, that's putting it real kindly. Kind of a democratic government. And these idiots talk about the most tone-deaf people in the history of mankind. They actually take power and then... They're all, hey, we're going to stay in the war, <laughs> which from the outside looking in sounds like the most nonsensical thing in the world because you can make the argument that the war is basically the entire reason Tsar Nicholas II is gone. There are a lot of other reasons, but that was clearly the one that pushed everyone over the edge and the new government takes over. The, you know, I actually like the war. I think we'll stay. <laughs> But understand how that happens as well. You want to know why people say, uh, he got rich and he changed. Oh, he got, a, he, he, he got to be CEO of this company and he changed. He's not like he used to be. Sometimes people do change and this is why they change. Because it looks a lot, lot different. When you're standing at the 50-yard line with the helmet and pads are on, then it does when you're sitting in the cheap seats. It's easy when you're the fan saying, he needs to do this and 
He needs to do that. And if I were down there, what I'd do is I'd do this. And if I were down there, I'd do that. And then you put on the helmet and pads and you look around and you're thinking, nah, I'm good. Once you get a seat at the cool kids table, well, it's tough to talk your way out of that table. Let's say you're a revolutionary and you were fighting against Tsar Nicholas II, and we got to kick him out of office, and we're going to get out of the war, and we're going to take the power back. We're done sending our young men off to fight. And, And what are you, though? What are you, really? You're a young man, most likely, 30s, maybe 40s. Haven't achieved a gigantic level of success in your life. Most political revolutionaries have not. Even if you're an intelligent, maybe highly educated. But you finally succeed in what you do. Remember, it's all about taking the power back, ending the war. And then you get into office and ring, 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 ring. Hello, who's this? Oh, this is United States President Woodrow Wilson. I'd like to talk to you. Do you think that's not seductive? It's very, very, very seductive. I'm going to take the power back and we're going to give it to the people. And then you walk into office and other world leaders are sending you expensive bottles of cognac and cigars. And they're calling you on the telephone. And sooner or later, they're having a talk with you of, hey, uh, really glad you're in power now. Was always rooting for you. I need you to I need you to stay in the war because if you leave the war you're going to screw us bad. You want to stay in the war? Have you seen my villa? I have a beautiful Italian villa. Maybe we should meet there over the weekend. We'll get some steaks in. Sound good? Have you ever had steak? Oh, you haven't. Oh, okay. It's seductive. And so they get promptly tossed out on the rear ends too. <laughs> it's not a great time. To be in Russia. Which brings us to Vladimir Lenin. A vicious, vicious tyrant. However, as we often do and get in trouble for on the show, allow me to defend him briefly. He did believe in communism a lot. And similar to Marx, had not really seen it practiced. Remember, there wasn't a, there wasn't a China, a Mao's China back then, back then. So along comes Vladimir Lenin. Hang on. Lenin took over. Lenin starts communism as we know it. Lenin is a monster. A lot of people want to know why the royal family were killed. I'm certainly not sitting here calling <laughs> for the for the murdering of an entire family, including, you know, wife, kids, and everything. But Lenin didn't actually do that. 
to be a jerk. Lennon did plenty to be a jerk. Did plenty just because he was a murderous psychopath who viewed violence as just part of politics. But Lenin was still opposed by many, many forces within Russia at this time. They were called the White Army, and they found out where the commies were keeping the royal family. They didn't have the royal family in some prison. They essentially had them in some really nice pad, but you're under house arrest in this kind of mansion until we figure out what to do with you. Lenin found out the White Army was marching towards that house. The White Army wanted any member of the family, preferably Nicholas, but any of them would do to serve as some figurehead for their army, which would help, you know, gather everybody back together again. The monarchists, we still have a a chance. So Lenin made the call to have them all shot. And they were all shot, including the children, and buried in an unmarked grave. Ugly bit of business. Lenin's done. Once he has a stroke, I think this is 1924, if I remember right. Strokes out, finished, and now there's a power vacuum. Who's going to emerge? This person, that person, we're not sure. And we all know who actually emerged from there, a man named Joseph Stalin. Joseph Stalin did not emerge from there by accident. Joseph Stalin did not fall backwards into it. Joseph Stalin knew how to work politics, and knew how to murder people. You want to talk about the man who had a knack for violence? By all accounts, I mean, so many of these leaders we hate, we assign every death to them as their murderers, and that's not always entirely fair. Sometimes that took place in war. Sometimes that's just a result of policies. I mean, U.S. presidents, every one of them, have in one way or another, had people killed. As the leader of nations, your policies will have some people live and some people will die. That's the nature of the business. Um, Joseph Stalin was a legitimate psychopath and killed people before he even had to kill people. Joseph Stalin enjoyed it. To be honest, you could make the argument Joseph Stalin's more evil than Adolf Hitler. Joseph Stalin is a bad, bad human being. And Joseph Stalin had an opponent within his Communist Party, and that man's name was Leon Trotsky. Now, Leon Trotsky was no saint, mind you. However, if we have to make excuses for them, a lot of the death and destruction that took place during the Communist Revolution, well, you can argue that's a civil war, and people die in a civil war. I'm not championing the execution of of an entire family or something like that, but civil wars have casualties. That's why I don't necessarily love every time we talk about a revolution here or, or a revolution there, pinning every death on someone as a murder. He murdered him. Uh, that's, that's combat. That's combat. And Trotsky was knee-deep in it. However, when they took over the Communist Party, when Stalin took over, Trotsky, and he and Stalin never got along, to be fair, Trotsky was mortified 
by what communism turned out to be. And remember, nobody had ever seen communism in practice before this. It's easy for us to hate it now because we know how bad it sucks. They didn't know necessarily how bad it sucks. They came up reading the books about it, wondering what it would look like. It does sure sound nice. Have you ever read anything about communism? It sounds wonderful. That's why kids love it. Well, we'll just share everything. Can't we share everything? It's yay. It's just it's just not human nature, and it ends up murdering people, lots of them. But Trotsky's vision of communism was probably more along the Karl Marx vision of communism, where Trotsky legitimately, by all appearances, wanted the people to be in charge. Now, that's a stupid concept in and of itself, the people to be in charge. It sounds wonderful. It's like this concept of, we should let everybody in. You love saying things like that. People love saying things like that because it makes you sound really tolerant. However, you never say that when it comes to something you actually care about. Oh, I can't believe they kept those people out of that neighborhood. They should let everybody in there. Oh, these people want to move to our neighborhood? Oh, oh, no, no, we can't just let anybody in. I've got my kids out front. What? You know what I mean? Standards. But Trotsky was a believer. Hang on. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Ladies and gentlemen, we have arrived in Philadelphia. Local time is 3.05 p.m. and the temperature is 67 degrees. At this time, you are now free to use your cellular devices. You know that feeling when you get to turn your phone on after the plane lands? You can have that feeling every time you drive. Make sure your cell phone is stowed away whenever you are behind the wheel. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Stalin and Trotsky disagree. Trotsky is horrified by the cult of personality of Stalin. He's horrified that his government of the people, communism, looks just like the dictatorship they threw off that long ago. Again, in Trotsky's defense, he did not know yet that that's how they all turn out. (laughs) That's how they all turn out. Stalin, well, Stalin's not a man who 
allows an opposition to hang around. That's putting it very, very mildly. And Stalin begins to do Stalin things. Hang on. Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Stalin takes over and starts doing Stalin things. And what are those Stalin things? Well, he starts killing people. Anybody who's an enemy of his within his nation or a potential significant enemy, Stalin always errs on the side of caution. He starts killing them. Trotsky is mortified by Stalin. Stalin hates Trotsky. Stalin has Trotsky exiled, which always brings up this question with people. Wait, what? Why? Why is he killing everyone else and he only exiles Trotsky? Why not kill Trotsky? Because Trotsky had a massive following. Stalin, evil as he may have been, understood you cannot make a martyr of him or you're going to have a revolution on your hands. You had better first destroy his following, weaken his following, and then you can kill him. So he exiles Trotsky. Trotsky, in a long roundabout way, ends up in Mexico, outside of Mexico City, with his wife and their grandson. Now, Trotsky had two sons, but Stalin killed them too. One of them died in the gulag, The other one died while undergoing cosmetic surgery by a Russian doctor who personally knew a member of the Soviet secret police. They think his other son was killed by Stalin. So Trotsky has that horrible, horrible thing I wish on no parents where he outlives his children, both of them. Trotsky's in Mexico. Trotsky is not... Silent. He is Trotsky is a writer. That's what he loved. That's what he was good at. He's constantly churning and churning out anti-Stalin things. And Stalin is doing all these purges in his own country, claiming his main accusation is claiming these people are Trotskyites. They're traitors, just like Trotsky. Like I said, keep rolling out that name. Keep weakening the man's reputation. <laughs> 
Finally, one night, one of one of Trotsky's bodyguards leaves the gate open for some cops who weren't really cops. They storm into the home. They fill up the house full of bullet holes. Trotsky lays on the floor, 60 years old, lays on the floor with his wife while they fill the house up with lead. By some miracle from God, they do not hit him. They take off. Trotsky lives. But Trotsky knows, you can tell from his writings, his days are numbered. Stalin now is under the impression he can kill him. You're Joseph Stalin. You're powerful, especially within your own borders. However, the assassination of somebody on foreign soil is a tricky bit of business. There are international foreign relations there. Countries take severe offense if you're executing people on their own soil. So Stalin has to be a little coy about this. Obviously, if Trotsky was sitting in the middle of the Soviet Union, he'd just have his door kicked in in the middle of the night and they'd drag him into a basement somewhere and fire a bullet in the back of his head and be done with it. You can't be quite that forward on Mexican soil. So they send in a spy. This spy was trained, highly trained in Moscow. Eventually got to be the boyfriend of a girl who was a loyal Trotskyite, and he acted like he was a loyal Trotskyite only the entire time he was working for the Soviets. She goes down, gets to meet Trotsky. He is given his orders. Kill Trotsky. The time has come. He shows up to kill Trotsky one day. Ask Trotsky to read something he wrote. Trotsky sits down, reads it, and this whole time when Trotsky is reading it, he's horrified by how much it sucks and Trotsky and, and the, the guy who's sitting there has his raincoat sitting over his arm with an ice pick underneath his hands. Watches Trotsky with his back turned towards him the whole time while he reads his piece. And he can't get up the nerve to actually kill him. Finally, Trotsky turns around and says, essentially, this sucks. Rewrite it. I'll look it over again. Guy takes off, and Trotsky goes to the guy's girlfriend. Remember the guy, the, the girl Trotsky knew well? And says, he was acting so strange when he was at, our, at my house. I don't know what's wrong with him. However, he lets him back. The guy's name was Ramon, by the way. Ramon Mercator. Mercator, I believe, is how you say it, but that's probably way wrong. Again, I don't do a bunch of names because, one, I butcher them, two, it gets boring. Now, Ramon shows back up with this piece, gives it to Trotsky, ice pick in the dome this time. Trotsky, to his credit, as the 60-plus-year-old man, does not lay down, does not go down without a fight at all. Trotsky fights like a lion. The bodyguards get a hold of Ramon. Trotsky's fighting this guy 
with an ice pick stuck in his head. Bodyguards show up. They beat the crap out of this guy. Trotsky goes to the hospital where he dies a day later. The dude ends up getting getting uh, convicted of murder, sentenced to life in prison, gets let out early where he is welcomed with open arms into Havana, Cuba, and then welcomed back to Moscow and given the highest honor in the Soviet Union. Ladies and gentlemen, social upheaval. It is the history of mankind. Not everybody goes through it. Remember, the czar, that family, 300 years. Think how many people lived and died under his regime without ever a change. A lot, right? Generations. Now imagine being part of the generation that sees him get cast off and sees this government take over and then that government take over and then this death and that death. And you would feel like if you were witnessing that, if you were watching what's happening, what would you feel like when you're in the moment? It's easy to look back historically and just judge it like we are now. But what would you feel like if you were in that moment? You would feel like you're witnessing the end of the world, right? Because in your mind, it is the end of your world. You don't know how this is going to turn out. You don't know if you're going to live. You don't know whether this is going to be great or whether this is going to suck. But you do know this. Uh, nobody ever told me what this was going to be like. What? Why do I have to? But let me ask you something. Before we go into all this massive disaster out there. Before we get into... Trump's comments from last night before we get into this social unrest and the real reasons behind it. I want to tell you today, do not allow yourself to get down because you live in wild times. Be thankful you live in wild times. Don't you want to die with some stories one day? The Talk Radio Revolution. Jesse Kelly. You know, your house smells. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. My house smells too. I'm not, I'm not indicting you. I'm sure you keep a clean home, but just time means you're going to acquire smells, whether those are cooking smells that get in your paint, your carpet. Maybe they're animal smells. Maybe you're a smoker or someone else was. Just living creates smells. I didn't realize that my home had a smell to it until I got my first Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the greatest air purifier I've ever, ever owned in my life. This thing, I had it plugged in for two hours. I came back in the room and my air smelled so clean. I now own three of them. I'm not making that up. This thing has absolutely changed me on top of what it's done for my allergies. Go get one. Get two. Be like me and get three. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE 
That gets you 10 bucks off and free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com, promo code JESSE. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Head in store and shop for all your favorite personal care essentials to earn four times rewards points. Shop for products from Olay, Always, Gillette, Bix, and Crest. Plus, check out new items like Mr. Clean Magic Eraser Ultra Thick Multi-Surface Cleaner. No more sponges or other cleaning products needed. And Head & Shoulders Bare Soothing Hydration Shampoo, a new kind of anti-dandruff shampoo with only nine ingredients. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, it's your favorite throwback podcast hosts, Jessica Bennett and Susie Bannekarum, here to announce a new season of our show in retrospect, which means a whole new batch of episodes diving into the pop culture moments we love and love to pick apart. From the dethroning of the first black Miss America to the legacy of a lesbian joke from four Kaftan loving Golden Girls. Listen to In Retrospect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.